Ho, 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 this is Gil Manser welcoming you to our 2017 Holiday Gift Books edition of Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. This is an important year to include books as gifts. Immediately following the fire, we had people living and eating in our house, and since several of our rooms are lined with bookshelves, I would often find them reading the titles and pulling down a personal favorite. I love this book, they would tell me. It was in the den on the left side of the shelf, when mine had a blue cover. Coincidentally, the night of the fire, ash was raining down around my home south of Sebastopol. Even though we were 10 miles away from the fire line, several pieces of identifiable scorched pages from someone's book landed on the grass. The point of this is that books are important to us, and especially to fire survivors. They can be touchstones to the past, as well as harbingers of new beginnings. So what do outdoor sculpture creator Andy Goldsworthy, Amy Tan's memoir, a disaster which results in a software engineer having to keep a sourdough starter alive and happy by daily feedings and playing music have in common. These fascinating books are included among the gifts that we will be chatting about with Cheryl Kotler and Michelle Bella, the book buyers for Copperfields Bookstores. Michelle and Cheryl, I welcome you to your seventh year on Word by Word. We have started a holiday tradition. Well, continue. Nice to be here. I didn't realize it's been seven years. It's hard to see both of them across the desk because the books are piled almost to the ceiling. That's not a problem, right? No, it's not. (laughs) Not at all. So, which one first? Who's going to start? Well, one thing I want to Okay, introduce yourself so they recognize your voice. I am Cheryl Kotler. I do the most of the book buying for the adult world at all of our eight Copperfield stores. (laughs) And I did want to say also that we appreciate that we are a part of the North Bay community. We were impacted by the fires. Our staff was impacted. And we thank you so much for coming back to our stores now that some of you have breathing room. And we would love to tell you what's great. Having said that, um, I also wanted to make a joke about when Gil said that stacks of books were so high that he couldn't see us, that we're, I carried in about 40 pounds of books just because when I talk about a book, I like to touch it. So, where to start? How about Sourdough? Okay. Sourdough by Robin Sloan is uh, set in San Francisco, and it is a tech worker, a young woman, who's working on artificial intelligence machines that have movement. So that's one of her jobs is teaching robots, robotics. In the meantime, to cut the story succinct, she inherits a sourdough starter from a couple of young men in San Francisco that have to go back to their own country because there's an immigration issue. And she's told that she has to sing to it, play music, and... um, keep it happy. Well, it ends up making the most incredible sourdough. The book goes through the ferry building. There's thinly disguised reference to Alice Waters and Chez Panisse and the Alameda um, old naval grounds. Oh, it's such a romp. It's wonderful. It's heartfelt. It's just a terrific read. And this is also the person who wrote Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore, Mm -hmm. right? Last year, which was yeah, yes, in the Bay Area. Yeah. So he he manages to be funny, but his stories are incredibly pertinent, pertinent, and wonderfully told. Great characters. One to share and talk about. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay, good. Michelle. Well, I should I call you that or Bella? Uh, if, you at Bella. work, it's usually Bella. Okay. I've well, got. Does this work? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fine After line. After seven oh, years. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, oh, okay. Bella. I brought one adult book from, because I buy the art books and the gift books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the new book for Andy Goldsworthy oh, yeah. this year called Projects. And it lists about 40 of his most current projects. And they are actually down here in terms of here's like the initial drawing. Here was the idea. Where is it located in the year? And then it looks at pictures of how he went about doing it and all those people who are helping him do it, too. So he doesn't make these up. I mean, he might make up the idea, but he certainly doesn't make up the whole sculpture by himself because they're huge. He could never do that. Right. And there's some very interesting ones. There's one called Stone Sea in St. Louis at the art museum there. And it goes on these arches and it shows how you put an arch together and what kind of clamps you need to do it. Keystone at the top? And well, yeah, they've got it all clamped up. It's very interesting. And there's two, I think, in San Francisco in the Presidio that Mm -hmm. aren't the one that you're most familiar with, the spire. And there's a very interesting one from 2016-17. It's called the Leaf House in Scotland, and it does. A, he's got a lot of work in this old, ancient, falling down building that I think they rebuilt, and weaving with leaves and and tiny yeah. little details. What he, detail. what he called his found sculptures. Yeah. Well, no, he's he's messing with them though. I mean, oh, yeah. you've got oh, yeah. like oh, huge yeah. things oh, yeah. done right. with them that are much more interior. See, she's showing me uh, the, the size of this book is about half of Rhode Island. <laughs> and uh, so the photos are immense. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Very, anyway, very interesting. If you like Andy Goldsworthy, you'd be really happy yeah. to look at this one. Cool. There's quite a few. There's a tour of his uh, uh, installations, I guess we'll call them, in Northern California. And you can do it in a couple days. So that, look it that up. That would be fun. Yeah, huh? I fun. will look it, it is up. Fun. Yeah. We also brought Endangered, which is another coffee table book. Oh, my word. We could both talk about because we both like it, it, it so much. It is the size of... What was it I say? Rhode Island, this, Connecticut. This is the size yeah. of Connecticut. It's funny. I thought this would be a perfect time to mention Endangered. Both of these books are published by Abrams, and they are famous for the quality of the print job they do. They're true coffee table books that you will thumb through over and over and over again They're because they're not only informative, but the photographs are amazing. In Endangered, it's a very hefty, large-scale book of incredibly beautiful photographs of animals around the world that are endangered, animals, insects, butterflies, that some of the photos would be like as close up as the eye of a a mountain gorilla. And some of the photographs are very much an entire scene of butterflies landing in trees. And at the back of the book, one of the things that Abrams does very well is have a miniature co- copy of that photograph and then all the information as to what the animal, where it's, what its Latin name is, where it's from, what the circumstances are that have made it endangered. So it sounds like a sad book, but I, I every time I look through it, I feel awe. Mm-hmm. Well, it's such a diverse uh, collection of Really portraits of these animals. Yes, yes. yes. They're very studio-finished. But you know what? Speaking of studio-finished, I forgot to bring the Annie Leibowitz. <gasps> oh, well, her new, I saw that. Huge. Yeah. Is that even bigger than this one? Yes, it is. And it's the size of New York now? Let's say something about it anyway. Okay. It's really... It's a beautiful book. It's amazing. This is not a book you take to bed to read at No, no. None of these. These three are the coffee table books of our picks. Well, pretty much everybody's familiar with Annie Leibowitz, but this has got an interesting mix of, of photos. It doesn't have just one perspective going on. There's a there's a real variety, don't you think? Yes, and also it's a very, very large part of her career. So it is not um, just, say, the typical or the not typical, but the uh, usual, say, celebrity shot and or um, political shot. There really are wonderful shots of 
ordinary life, beautifully taken, and um, elements of ordinary life that you wouldn't think to look at. But there's a lot of celebrity, too. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of, of... Well, that's very, what yeah. she was yeah. right. making yeah. her name. And I think yes. maybe, I don't know, do people pay her to do their portrait? It must be some of it, right? Boy, I'd pay her in a minute if I could afford it. Yeah. I always yeah. wanted they to really are beautiful. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So... Unless you're very, you know, live on the street corner and look, you know, very photogenic. I just want one, would you even if she photo? yeah. photographs me at my office looking haggard. <laughs> <laughs> Only this time of year, right? Uh, yeah. When do you order the books? What time? We order... Constantly. We buy, yes, constantly, but they're clumped in seasons. And so we're buying books usually three to six months ahead of publication date. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we have a couple of books here that are selling very well, Um Leonardo da Vinci by Walter Isaacson and Grant by Ron Cherno that I have in my hands the galleys of the books which is the copy they send to buyers and booksellers that's um, a pre-publication copy without the jazz of color photos and Mm -hmm, so forth mm -hmm. that we look at before we buy books or right about the time if we're lucky uh, we can try and read as much as possible. Um, you know, NPR puts out a 50 notable books around this time, and yeah. both of those are on that list. Yes. Yeah. So you um, probably bought that in the summer, probably. Yes. Yeah, so these are selling now, and I bought these books in April. Right. Oh. Right. Uh, 2017. So, right. Do you want to talk about those two? Or is that sure. Enough? That's a I mean, perfect sure, opportunity. Um, when, Let's go in history. Leonardo first. Leonardo da Vinci. You know, first off, most of our listeners, I think, would know Walter Isaacson. He's just an incredible historian, biographer, uh, very well known for his book on Einstein. And he did one on Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. And so the thing about Leonardo da Vinci is... How we all know that he was quite a Renaissance man. He invented maps. He invent he he discovered elements of physics that helped him make um, drawings way ahead of his time. This is the sixteenth um, century, and uh, did paintings. So what's so fascinating about the book is not only learning more about what he did and how he thought, but also how these kinds of ideas that he had influenced culture up mm-hmm. to this day still is influencing culture. I mean, he was just the most incredible genius. And Walter Isaacson tells a story that will make you just sit there and read chapters and chapters before you you know, go up and get your next glass of wine or your good cup of tea. So does he tell the story from the point of view of Leonardo himself or someone watching him, or how does this happen? Um, for example, the chapter that starts out personal life, the first sentence is, Leonardo became known in Milan not only for his talents, but also for his good looks, muscular build, and gentle personal style. So it's not, because it's a biography, this is nonfiction, he doesn't, Leonardo doesn't speak. Right. It's, you know, third person. Well, you have to use a mirror to read whatever he wrote. Right. <laughs> Um, really a remarkable book, and people have discovered it early on. I mean, we, we have stacks and stacks in the stores, and they're working, they're selling like Good. mad. I think it's a great history book mm-hmm. for everybody. A history of the 1500s. Yes, yeah. and then Grant, I have to admit, this one kind of surprised me. Not The author did not. Ron Cherno is best known now for having done that incredible biography of Alexander Hamilton. One thing led to another, and it became a Broadway play. Uh, What did surprise me was it's not always that easy on the West Coast to sell um, Civil War biographies. 
But not only did Grant make his name first as a general in the Civil War, but then he became president. What's fascinating about this is how he went through a rags to riches stories three or four times in his life. I mean, he was a general store clerk when he was called and asked to be a... Well, that's because he was a general store. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, he went to West Point, so I think it was Lincoln or some of his people that called him and said, we need a, would you help us with the Union Army? And lo and behold, and by the way, through his entire life, it's well documented, he had an alcohol problem. So he would manage it at various times. And it says that he actually managed it fairly well while he was a general general for the Union Army. The other thing that's remarkable about him was that when he became president, he seriously worked on um, the rights of the freed slaves and worked very hard on having the Ku Klux Klan disbanded and destroyed. I don't think that's something that very many people know about Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah, I heard Ron uh, Chernow on NPR talk about the book, and he said essentially what captivated him was the information about Reconstruction Era. Yes. That people don't know that. You know, they know the minutia of what battle, you know, who died in this spot kind of yeah. thing. But after the war is over, right? There's we're kind of ignorant. And to, this was done specifically to address that. Yes. So he, he showed up a stronger man than anyone thought he had in him. And it's really fascinating. He rose to the office. He absolutely. Thank you for saying it better than I just did. And this is quite a doorstopper and another <laughs> book that is really, truly a wonderful read. Okay, As I'm, attested I'm by the fact that we've sold hundreds of it's, copies already. It's uh, <laughs> almost a thousand pages. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, you know, this is probably a pretty good segue into the Obama book. Oh, yes. Okay. Now, Obama, An Intimate Portrait by Peter Sousa is, is a smallish coffee table book. I'm going to say the format is probably 10 by 10 12. By Why, it's the size of Hawaii. And I had watched a presentation in New York in June on a very large jumbotron screen of this gentleman, Peter Souza, showing what he was going to put together in this book. I was so moved to tears afterwards I could barely speak. So let me explain to our listening audience. Peter Souza, Pete, sorry, Souza was Obama's um, official photographer and Obama, being who he was, allowed him access to his life morning, noon and night almost seven days a week for his entire eight years in office. So there are over two million photographs. This book holds around 350, I believe. What I loved, and I, by the way, read every page of it, because after you see the photograph, you get the story along the bottom about when it was taken, what was going on. What I really found fascinating that I didn't really understand was what it takes to actually work as the president every day, like the meetings, the phone calls, the negotiations, people sitting in a circle with their yellow legal pads on their knees, writing notes and looking at each other and carrying on conversations. So we do know about photo ops when presidents show up and say cut ribbons or go to the UN, but we don't know so much about what a president does day to day. And this book is fascinating Mm. that way. Eight years in the life of Yes. 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 Yeah, wow. On the job. On the there job. are some personal photos, though, him playing in the snow with his daughters well, and that's taking the, the dog for a walk yeah. and yeah. so forth. But the, um, the, What was it called? Some kind of doodle. Labradoodle. Was uh, that the dog? No, they have um, those Portuguese water dogs. Oh, Remember see. the ones that they, oh, they got yes. the tip from Ed, 
Edward Kennedy, Senator Kennedy. I love this minutia. Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bella, your turn. All right, you want to switch into kid books? Okay. All right. So in my world, um, I kind of divide <laughs> things into novels and then everything else. So, and I want to talk about some really good novels. There's a lot of really excellent novels for the fall, and you can find a whole bunch more than what we've got okay, here. Okay, one of the feedbacks I've had is about the, the what you call the kid books, is that most of these are, y, a lot of them are YA, or even younger than that. So let, what, what's a better phrase? Then, young people? Well, YA young is adults? young adult, and yeah. so those books are considered usually 14 and up, so often adults yeah, read, of, adults of, read yeah, young adult. Yeah, right. um, Excuse me, you guys. Hmm? Sorry. That's right. Um, you're a little bit too close to the microphone. Me? Yeah. Okay. Um, and additionally, somebody's been banging on the table a couple of times. And well, that's when we put the books down. All right. Uh, okay. Yeah. We'll try not to bang. We'll be good. Okay. Yeah, we get that weird boom from All right. the springs. Oh. No, I'm glad you told me. Okay. What, how much time are we in now? We are in 17 minutes. Okay. That's only 17 minutes? That's what it says in the Okay. Case. All right. Well, then I've got a lot of time till the break. Good. We'll make it through the books. So you want to ask the question about... I will ask the question. Okay, so I had some feedback from previous shows about people are, are a little unclear how they should buy a book by age and stage or whatever it is. So can you give us some advice to that? Because, you know, the Harry Potter series kind of broke the mold yes. because younger and younger readers have picked it up. Right. And even though now we might consider some of the content in Harry Potter to be too violent mm -hmm. for third graders, they're maybe still reading it if that's what everybody's reading. I mean, right. hard to control children. Um, <laughs> on the website, on Copperfield's website, copperfieldsbooks.com, we do have a list under kids of by age suggested books, and the Christmas books are also listed by age. Mm. And like, there's two of these books here are considered 8 to 12, and two of the books I brought here are 14 and up. Okay, let's start with the 8 to 12. So 8 to 12, the uh, first one I want to talk about is Timeless. Timeless, which I want to show you, is written by a local author called Armand Balthazar. And it's a world that's... Is that the real name? That's that his real, real name? name, yeah. Armand Balthazar. Yeah. So the I opened it and there's a painting, I guess it is, of well, a giant robot. It is hugely pull, illustrated. Pulling a... Uh, is it a tugboat, I think? We've had a clatechismic change of wow. uh, the, the whole world and a, has come and apart. And it uh, looks like an armored ship from the Civil War up a street that's flooded. Wow. So he's, he calls <laughs> okay, this... Okay, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. <laughs> he calls this a, a time collision that came from beyond the stars, a cosmic event that fractured time and space, tearing apart the Earth and reshaping it into something entirely new. So he's living in Chicago, but you've got all these different elements like dinosaurs and oh, steam engine and not electricity okay. and all this kind of stuff. And everything's flooded, so you've got to build submersibles. And his dad is this big inventor. And there's all – so it's got a very high action fantasy story. Right. And he's – it's almost every page has got these color illustrations all the way through, which he's done by taking pictures of people just like Norman Rockwell and then converting them, repainting them to be in his story. So huh. you might see people from Petaluma in this book. 
So I've is been. he li- really that local? Yeah, he lives in Petaluma. Well, we're going to have to have him in here. Oh, you should. Yeah. Absolutely. You should. Yeah. And um, Send me the contact info. Okay, I will. <laughs> if he's on hearing this, you'll be hearing getting a call okay. in a minute. Okay, good. <laughs> it's lots of fun. And that really, they say 8 to 12 to 8 to 14 maybe. Depends on uh, I don't where know. you're uh, reading. There's a 72-year-old who's interested. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. See, that's the problem with kid books. You don't have to limit them in such a way. So um, I also want to talk about The Explorer by Catherine Rundell. And she's written a few other books that have been very popular. This one is not fantasy. It is four children who survive an airplane crash in the Amazon. And this is before GPS and maybe in the 50s or something. Yeah, the the airplane on the cover looks to be a mid-50s prop. It's probably actually earlier than that because there's still undiscovered places in the world. And the oldest boy of this group wants to become. Yeah, there still are undiscovered Well, there still are, but (laughs) this is more in the age of discovery. And then so there is also a lot of talk in, in the whole, at the end of the book, basically about should you discover everything? And if you discover it, what happens yeah, to it? Yeah, and then what do you do with the natives who you meet? Right, yes. right. And there, there's, be, uh, there's a consideration of that. But yeah. that's mostly it's how to survive. And they've got four kids together, and it's how they interact. What are their ages? Uh, well, uh, there's a brother and sister who the little one is like four. Okay. He's the most trouble. And then the other <laughs> ones <laughs> in the in the jungle, you know. Well, yeah. And the other ones are all, I'd say, 11 and down or maybe 12 okay. and down. And they... They have to eventually like help each so other. So they're smart enough to know everything. No, 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 no. I wouldn't. Say, I mean, they're not stupid, but they certainly don't know what to do. Then some of them. There's a girl who no. knows no more. No Boy Scouts boy. in the mix. There's a boy uh, who knows. No, they're, the girl they're knows definitely. The most. Girl knows. The girl knows the most. Well, you know, of they often do. Are. Yes, well. most of the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it, it's an adventure, and you do get to hear things like how you can eat tarantulas and. You know how you roast them to get the sure. the, the yeah. hairs it's off their legs, and <laughs> they supposed to taste like shrimp. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, I did just say chicken, <laughs> not chicken. They don't no. crunchy. See? Anyway, I like the Explorer. I think it's really good, and I think kids so far, everyone's loved it. Good. So those are the younger books that are my two favorites. For the adult side, I've got two. One's a total fantasy, the uh, Book of Dust by Philip Pullman, which is the beginning of a trilogy that's a prequel to the Golden Compass. So a prequel to prequel the Prequel series, kind of. It. And so does this have the polar bears in it? No. No polar bears in no, this particular. No, but it does have some of the same characters just ah. earlier on. In this, in this book, Lyra is a baby. Oh. And it's how she's you yeah. know, put with the, the nuns. and then this, But she's not much of a character because she's a baby. Sure. So, but it's other characters. This guy, Malcolm. See, that's another one really I'm going to have to read. Oh, yeah. you do. You do. This is so you, good. I have. And tell and me your, your thoughts. It's wonderful. Um, I... Bella gave me a copy to read, and I just went for it. And I don't read a lot of the young adult books, but I had read The Golden Compass. It's it's marvelous. It's not ter- It's not you know bad or. Um, There's only one adult thing that, oh, there that is. is knocking it into the more mature yeah, content thing a, that yeah. they oh, want. Dear, it to be. So like Golden yeah. Compass is we consider it to be kind of a junior high level book. But this one, they want it to be. I don't know. There's adult. a couple of incidents in there that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, and how you interpret it. Right. Yeah. Right. And it is. It's anti- an escape from a bad guy. We can say that. Yeah. Right. And it's still yeah. very much anti-authoritarian religious rule in the same world. It's the same world as mm-hmm. Golden Compass. Mm-hmm. So, okay. But it's great. Cool. But I found it um, smart escapism. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And the smart escapism. That's my new intelligent escapism. Intelligent escapism is my new desperate look for books in between the political books I'm reading, which ah. I didn't bring to not... It's not very Christmassy, well, you, sorry. You brought some semi-political books, but yeah. they're historic. 
Okay. All right. The last children's book is quite the adult crossover, I think. It's Mary, Maggie Stiefvater, who's written a bunch of uh, fantasy series. Don't but know her name. this one, you might not because she's not... She hasn't been around all that long. This one is set... Can I spell that for everyone so here. they can understand? Yeah. It is uh, Maggie, spelled just as you would think it would be, but her last name is S-T-I-E-F-V-A-T-E-R. Stay father. And right. this, this It's called book, All the Crooked Saints. All the Crooked Saints. Okay. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's set in the Southwest in a world, I have to write this one down, of miracles, magic, and myths, a story of love, loss, and longing. It's very much magical realism mm-hmm. and... Uh, it reminds me of early Barbara Kingsolver books mm. where it, it's not a bad thing at all. It's not a bad thing. It's mm. actually a fabulous read. And I don't I don't know that the kids who have read her other fantasies are going to appreciate it on the level of for what it is. So Southwest itself. at what time? Oh, it's it's early. I don't know. Early 60s, probably. Oh, OK. Because yes. there's radio, and they got this pirate ah. radio thing going on from in, Mexico. And no, these just these people. There's a girl who's ah. really good with building things, and they've got this step van. See, we and got then the girl. That's the, the, the smart one again. Yeah. There's a lot of and smart are, girls. Are the children are Hispanic. I've started reading it. Yes, I think they're. It's this Hispanic family. Yeah. And they have a, a violent, um, passionate emotions, and and but, you know, you make a decision, and then you spend your, the rest of your life in this other building because you cannot no longer look at the person because. <laughs> You know, whatever. But it's know? it's. I started reading and it's really moving and yeah. wonderful. Very yeah. yeah. Not everybody like is water Hispanic, for chocolate kind of. People things. come to this place. Yeah. Yeah. People come to this place to be healed, but they have to. It has to come from within them and the family that they lives there. They come to like, this place. Oh, they were are, they're they, pilgrims. They're like pilgrims to they this. They just it comes to them. They're coming to to be healed in this miracle. You'll have to oh, read it. Okay. Yeah, I, just I, absolutely. We're not telling you're you right, anymore. You're right. Okay. All right. So those are the four novels I brought. There are uh, many, many more on our website. So I, I encourage you, if you are interested, to go. This there. is a perfect time for a break. You are listening to our 2017 Holiday Gift Books edition of Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. In what is now our seventh year, we are pleased to welcome book buyers from Copperfields Bookstores, Cheryl Kotler and Michelle Bella, with their challenging task of choosing which books to talk about in under an hour. Really? So, stay tuned. We've got a half hour more of great book ideas right here on KRCB-FM. Word by Word Conversations with Writers. Okay, who wants to pick up? Okay, I will pick up. Um, first, I'm going to start with a novel called Artemis by Andy Weir. And, and that's W-E-I-R. Many of you may remember him from his first book, The Martian. The Martian, yeah. That not only was a really great read, but ended up getting made into a movie. It's a good movie, too. Yeah, and so this book is, I think, in a way, even better. In fact, I think quite a bit of a way. Um, it's a caper. It's set on a, a small city that's a colony on Mars, and they actually, the author makes it scientifically plausible the ways for a small city to function on the lunar surface. Well, so wait a minute. You just said Mars and lunar. So which is it? Oh, I'm sorry. It's not Mars. Martian was Mars. This is the moon. moon. Okay. Moon. Thank you. So Artemis is the name of the um, colony, the colony. A city okay. Okay. on the lunar surface, yeah. and there. Most of the people that get to go there or do live there have gotten lots of – have a lot of financial backing and or their own money to live so there. So they took a private rocket, huh? But having said that, <laughs> there are people that need to be the workers. And there's a young girl named – girl again, Jazz 
Bashara, who is a porter and who wants to improve her lot in life, and she's very, very skilled. And she does smuggling on the side, and so she gets hired by someone who asks her Sounds to. Sounds like this is a prequel to Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> he asks her to participate in a a um, scheme that will pay her a lot of money. He wants to control the the aluminum uh, empire up there, and it seems benign in the beginning. And she signs on full fledged, but then it it's not only a thriller, but it's a thriller with a lot of political permutations, and. A great deal at stake, so it's just one of those riveting reads. Hmm. And so, there are bauxite uh, deposits on the moon. I guess I, you'll have to read the book. I ah, see. We're yeah. down. I'm hearing that over and over again. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Okay. But that makes me want to. These are my two um, space gotcha. books. The well, next one is Endurance: A Year in Space, A Lifetime of Discovery by Scott Kelly, and I. This is nonfiction. This is his uh, experiences as an astronaut. Yes. yes. And if some of you may know who Scott Kelly is, but Scott Kelly is has spent the longest time on the space station of any astronaut to date. And he did that for science. Now, there's a couple things that are interesting about him. One is he has an identical twin brother, Mark mm-hmm. Kelly. Mm-hmm. And Mark Kelly's also an astronaut. Both of them are now more or less retired. So they volunteered they brought it up themselves. They volunteered to NASA that Scott would go up and spend time on this space station. He was up there, I think, 350 days so that they could measure what would happen to somebody that was in space that long against the his twin brother who had the same uh, strength and endurance before Scott went up but stays on Earth. Right. And you end up finding out strange things about how your muscles atrophy and your eyeballs get in trouble. Uh, One of the things that I met Scott, and one of the things he said was that, um, and he said it very matter-of-factly, that he was exposed, anybody is on a space station, to over 30 times the strength of a normal x-ray every day Mm. in space. So they're measuring, right now he's a healthy guy, but they're measuring all of these things that would have happened to him. In the meantime, he tells you what he dreams, he tells you what he longs for, he grows zinnias because he misses beauty and flowers. Oh, and also, though, they're growing zinnias so that they can do the next thing to grow tomatoes so that yeah. they can, they're preparing to go to Mars. Yeah. Right. So if you can't make it for a year in space, you We're can't go to We're back to, to the Martian, Mars. aren't we? Right, yes, right. Yes. And it's, so it's a very moving personal story while it is also talking so about... So not to give anything away, how is he when he comes back to Earth after over a he, year? He, um, at first, seemed for a couple of days okay and then immediately had what they call a kind of muscle atrophy where it would be difficult for him to stand up from a seated, from in the, from a chair. Because of the difference of yes, gravity? because your muscles atrophy slightly. They, they don't get exercised, right. and no matter what sort of exercise machines they have Even in space. Even if there's a treadmill and all that yes, stuff. Yes, yeah. um, because the circulation isn't working the same way. And so he ended up after thinking, hey, I'm much better off than I am, within a couple of weeks was slammed with the fact that mm. actually he wasn't feeling very well. And, of course, he's been, you know, constant in constant contact with all the teams of people who are studying him while right. he's, you know, back at home. When the first uh – People who, Scott Glenn and all that, when mm-hmm. they landed back on Earth, they were put in isolation for like two weeks or something like that to yeah. make sure they hadn't contracted some strange disease in space. So does he get, is he more susceptible to 
respiratory infections or anything like that um, when he lands? I, I don't think so. No. I, they talk a lot about putting them in quarantine before they go into space. Right. So uh, they're they're very isolated. So, so they can't everybody contaminate the, the solar space system. station. Yeah. Well, the space station is what yeah, they're trying right, not to right. get sick there. So I don't think they're too worried about him. He even said something about getting a flu shot. He gave himself a flu shot just because his brother was getting a flu shot. Not that he needed a flu shot. Oh, and on he's the, the control. Station. That's right. 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 They um, they make a real point of like when in days of him coming back, he was surrounded by family and friends mm-hmm. and having a meal and things right. he missed. Yeah. I don't think they're worried about space viruses right now yeah and they're also it was more than anything too when you read this book um he talks a lot about what he longed for and i'm probably spending too much time on this book but the there's one other thing that he says that i was very moved i have to say he talks about that there were 18 different countries Mm -hmm. and some innumerable amount of people who built this station Mm the space station Mm -hmm. in cooperation and if that can happen over many years why can't we work together as right, a planet? Right. It's well, so well stated. Yeah. So. And the number of people in the station are from so many different countries yeah. too now. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's fine. When I talk a lot, I cough. Well, you have to go up to the space station and get <laughs> and get more. Okay. Okay. Ready? You want to be next, or, or should we? Do you have Bella, more you novels want? you want to go, or should we switch back to kids? Yeah, let let's let Bella's voice take up here. Okay, um, I want to for sure show everybody <laughs> the world of information. I love this book. It's an oversized picture book type book with some very retro pictures. Every page has a different type of informational chart. I One, must. I, I'm going to stop you okay. here in just a second and tell everybody that that's the book you picked out and handed to me when you walked in the door today. It is. Yes. I thought you would appreciate the uh, the wealth of knowledge. The Junior here. Woodchuck Manual kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Kind of, kind of. Yeah. Um, this page has all the, a world of information, screws and nails. And then there's... <laughs> There's the like how an orchestra. You should is show put me together. that picture, the screws and nails. I did. I did, I did a, a science project on screws and nails for for when I was in fifth grade. Seriously? Yeah, I saw uh, oh. different finishes. Which one different would uh, you know rust in water or, or corrode in water? Yeah. And I'm going to throw a teaser out. There's a really cool little subplot in Book of Dust about screws and nails <laughs> in the shutters. <laughs> yes, protect. there is. There's some. How, anyway, we have to oh, read the book. See, yeah. We're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, here's another interesting well, one. Well, this it's one not you have to study science. the book. You don't just read it. Well, this, to... it seems to me that this would be a great way to introduce yourself to uh, some basic information. So if we really, if you had a kid who really liked the screws and nails part, then you'd go in that direction. You mm-hmm. could go in uh, like 60 different directions here. This is the layout of an orchestra. Right, which, and why it's done that way. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It does not probably have a ton of why, but it has certainly at least what it is. And the, well, in the it's, it's because of the and, acoustics of the room. Right. Yeah. 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 And here's one the the Mohs uh, scale of mineral hardness. Oh, yeah. You know that talc is the you know least hard and diamond is the hardest. See, this is the all stuff the my grandfather and father made sure that I knew. Right. And now you can you could look it up online, but yeah, but it's that's so too easy. It's better it? to see yeah. it in a book yeah. and have some visual reference on it. So I really like the world of information. I do too. Oh, good. Good choice. Tell um, me who wrote it. Oh, good question. The whole world wrote it. Um, James, James Brown <laughs> yeah, and Richard Platt. Say it again. Uh, James Brown and Richard Platt. Okay. Brown and, and Platt. That sounds like a 
could you know, be anything. something you'd use for grad school or something. You know? Yeah. yeah. Right? yeah. Um, then as far as picture books go, we've got a couple, we've got lots of really good picture books, not surprisingly. One of them that's really very interesting is oh, yeah. this story. It's 160 pages. It was supposed to be a regular 32-page picture book, but they gave the idea from the Mark Twain papers to this illustrator, writer, um, husband and wife team mm-hmm. to create a picture book out of a story idea that Twain had written down what he'd written a bedtime story for his kids. He'd told it, an oral thing, and he did make notes. But they're very sketchy notes, so they elaborated it to make this large book, which if you have a kind of a a good read-aloud voice and can do some voices, this would be a great read-aloud for, you know, six- to eight-year-olds, I think. It would take me, might not take more than one night or two nights. Okay, tell tell us the title. Oh, okay, sorry. (laughs) The Purloining of Prince Oleomargarine. And it's by Mark Stead and no Mark Twain and Philip Stead with illustrations by Aaron Stead. All right, you have to stop you here now. Okay. Oleo Margarine. Yes. Is that a Mark Twain? Yes. Title? Yes, he would not have. Because added I had, that I had just heard via the internet yeah. that Oleo Margarine was originally developed as a animal feed, and had no color. It was kind of a gooky white originally. They added yellow to sell it as a. But I didn't realize it was back in Mark Twain's time. It, yeah, this is. It was probably in the newspaper. He used to ask his kids to bring a newspaper right. to him to prompt a story, yeah, to a picture yeah. or something. It was probably in the paper. I mean, yeah. or he had just read something about it. Well, it was brand new. It, right, it was new. Yeah. So he put it in a story, and now, and so it's it's the prince's name in this character's in okay. this whole book, and it really there is Mark Twain bits in it. Actually, like he's talking to you, too, also in the story. It's very unusual, really not your normal everyday. Is that a read aloud book? book? I would totally read it aloud. Absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I, I read it to myself, but I could envision my husband reading it to my kids very easily. Uh-huh. And the illustrations are so nice. But uh, they're it, soft. Yeah, they're very soft. Which so is unusual prints. for. Yeah. yeah they look for, like lithographs. They do. Yeah. The, um, there is. It's an odd story of this downtrodden child and, and kind of fairy tale like and how he ends up, you know, finding this this horrible dictator type king who then wants him to go find Prince Oleomargin. It's very complicated and it, this was written a couple of years ago. It yeah, was but not you, written. You have to have a quest. It's not written about today's political climate. It is climate, not written about even the, though I'm hearing that in there. There could be just a little bit of mm. that in here. And when he asks here um, at the end, it's like, you know, it's okay, said the skunk, just tell the truth. But before we find an answer for Johnny, let us describe one more difference between here and there. Here, a young boy of Johnny's age can collect piles and piles of money, and with that money, he can buy all the things he will never need, he will ever need. But there, in Johnny's (laughs) land, all the money you can ever find will not afford you even one of the most important things around, which is a true friend. Mm. So it's a, it's a definitely still a kid's mm. book. Yeah, it's a moral. Yeah, oh, right. of course. It's a Mark Twain story. Sure. Yeah. So I think he channeled Mark Twain in a very interesting way. See, there's another one I have to pick up. I think you, yeah. I think you would like yeah. it. The only other picture book I feel compelled to tell you about is my favorite just regular picture book. I book. saw the cover for that somewhere, and I said, wow. It, wow it, is yeah. right. The illustrations are Can very interesting. Can I describe that? Just open it open for it again okay. for me. All right. Yeah. It is a very craggy um section of the ocean probably along the shore where huge rock piles you know launch themselves up to the sky and in the midst of that comes a wooden ship with uh, furled sails and a huge 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 uh, head on the front of the ship with antlers that spread out wider than the ship itself and almost as tall as the top mast well the ship is is run by a bunch of deer 
It's run by a bunch of deer. It's called The Antlered Ship, and it's written by Dashka Slater, and it's illustrated by two men, the Fan Brothers. These are all Bay Area people, too. Oh, Um, cool. I love how you find out people for me. That's great. Yeah. Oh, these are. See, now that picture, that looks like Australia down there in the picture on the front, the island. Well, this is your your mythical land that they're uh, going to. This is what I call an epic adventure because this fox has many, many questions. And when Sylvia, the head of the deer, comes down to try to find a crew for the ship, because it turns out deer aren't really very good sailors, uh, she finds... Well, it's hard to get footing on the wet deck. They're a little timid, you know. Um, She finds the the fox and some pigeons, I think, this group of pigeons. Mm -hmm. And she hires them on to go into the, the river, into this ship. Anyway, they go on this long adventure, and it turns out the fox has to really up his game and learn how to take care of everybody because the pigeons aren't very good at it either. They mm. want to just play checkers. So they end up flying, though, through and they meet pirates and storms. Ah, but and see, now the pirates are wearing pirate hats and patches yeah. on the one eye, at least. And they are raccoons and a pig. And is that a crocodile? Oh, it's all, this page is great. And it's just and a, a huge angry weasel bear and a weasel and a owl they're not really i think they did that just to get this picture but then so they could show this though the the, <gasps> the head of the ship fighting oh. with the other okay ship, the, the other ship's ship. head is a giant uh, elephant yeah. with tusks longer yeah. than almost as long as the ship and that's wow. all they do you know the, it's not that really about the fight and the pirates it's mostly about searching for answers and so looking how did for that, places. that battle result? That was it. So. That was it. It was you over. They won. The book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just setting this up. Yeah, right? yeah you yes. are. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, they they win and, until the pirates turn and fled. I mean, that, that's uh, like, well, the see, that's there. the resolution. Yeah, sure. yeah, right. it does. Yeah, because yeah. you know, deer are ferocious. So they ha- when they get to that land, they have to f- decide whether they're going to go on more adventures and find more answers. That of course they find answers. And if you buy the book, they will probably go on more adventures. Probably, yes. I I would hope they'd go on more adventures. How fun is that? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to stop here a sec. What do we have for time? We are at 43 minutes. Perfecto. Just where I have a time. I had it at 45, but close enough. I'm basically done. I I I know. Sorry, sir. Okay. All right. We need another 20 then. Oh. So, no problem, right? Yeah, another 20. Okay. See, I've given you you carte blanche here. Okay. Um, well, let me talk about a novel by Nathan Englander, mm-hmm. Dinner at the Center of the Earth. Um, this is a very moving present-day novel. Well, present-day. It's a novel about two Israeli diplomats, the, the underlings of Israeli diplomats, and then ultimately Palestinian diplomats working on the peace process. And what's interesting is that the central characters, or the uh, the historical characters, shall mm-hmm. I say, are mm-hmm. present and mentioned by name, but the story is these underlings of the more famous people. I found it incredibly moving, and in the end, you, uh, you really do see everybody's side of the story. And in fact, there is a love story between an Israeli diplomat and a Palestinian diplomat, and it's, it's, it's the efforts to try and make things work in that region are remarkable and moving, and he tells such a great story. He's been a nominated writer for awards for many years. Nathan Englander. Mm-hmm. 
Um, John Le Carre has a novel called Legacy of Spies, and what's cool about this is... Yeah, is that he's writing it. Yes. Yes, after the last novel that I read where he was saying he'd never write another. Right, and he brings back George Smiley by virtue of the British Secret Service decides to go interview a retired Secret Service member named Peter Gilliam, who... They, um, who was mentored by George Smiley and that whole team, and they decide they're, you know, it's present day and they're going to uh, turn over rocks and see if these Cold War espionage agents are did everything by the book or the right way. And so it's typical John Le Carre. It's very tightly plotted. It has some of our favorite characters and, again, what I call a smart escapist read. Okay, see, we're back yeah. to that. Really excellent. Now, some nonfiction. I really love this book, and it's called American Wolf by Nate Blakesley. True story of the survival and obsession in the West. Um, they tell you right in the beginning that this one wolf that they call A6 is mm -hmm. unfortunately shot mm -hmm. by a rancher. Uh, so that's the saddest part of the entire book because she was an alpha wolf, and then they go through the process of how she they'd gotten her uh, tagged and how all of these people that were studying her movements over many, many years and how it, it, the remarkable she was as a wolf and how the repopulation of wolves in Yellowstone matters and how it's restored the whole ecological balance. Um, in an interesting, very interesting way. They didn't predict at all. No, no, yeah, they didn't yeah. predict. And uh, so it's, I found it riveting. And it's funny, I was reading this book while Bella was mm -hmm. in Yellowstone uh -huh. and had seen some wolves yeah, in the distance. She so. saw wolves. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that one is a wonderful, good read. Then another jumping from one side to the other is mm -hmm. a book called Start to Finish by Eric Lax. And it's subtitled Woody Allen and the Art of Movie Making. Uh, I uh, was able to learn some things about this book while it was being written, and Eric had been has been a friend of Woody Allen's for decades, and he got Woody to agree that he could be on the set every single day when Woody was working on one of his movies and talk about his process. Now, well, Woody didn't always talk, but Eric took notes and observed the process of how he wrote scripts, how he adjusted them in the moment, what directions he gave to his actors. So which movies were going on when this? It's just the one movie, and I knew you'd ask that, and I suddenly realized I couldn't remember. Um, oh, gosh, the movie is... Maybe it tells me on the bullet point. Yeah. I'll look it up if you want to keep talking. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we'll come back to that. But I love the idea that for over an entire year, what our author is doing is act actually... Tra um, tracking and writing about how a creative person It's, it's a rational man, which is why we don't remember it. Released yeah. in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember it either. Yeah, it's hmm. it's almost like you would maybe get permission to spend every single day with, say, Andy Goldsworthy or somebody mm. and mark remark on how they take notes, when they sit down and seem to think staring into the sky, how they talk <laughs> to the people helping them. It's, it's totally fascinating as to a creative process. Mm -hmm which we all are interested in. Yeah. And then Beta Ball, subtitled How Silicon Valley and Science Built One of the Greatest Basketball Teams in History yeah. by Eric Malinowski. And you know we 
faithful Golden State Warrior fans that this is who they are talking about. They are talking about <laughs> the resurgence of the Golden State Warriors into one of the basket, best basketball teams in history. Some people will remember Michael Lewis's Moneyball and yes. how they got that, that story is about the Oakland A's. So it's a little similar. The new owners of the Golden State Warriors used not only statistics and information from Silicon Valley, but also got really smart about the kind of coaches to hire and general managers so that they picked relatively uninspiring players and have them turn into something like a Steph Curry. Yeah. It's a fabulous story. And this, I think it's really interesting. I love reading sports books, but if you do have a person, a dad, father, somebody who's only reads sports books, it's a great gift book okay. for that crowd. Eric Malinowski. Yeah. All right. Um, Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward is the current National Book Award winner. Mm. What's interesting is that she's just 40 years old. She's a Mississippian. And her first book was uh, also a National Book Award one, or maybe it was her second novel called Salvage the Bones. Mm-hmm. Um, she remains in Mississippi. She grew up there. She's got two children. This is a story of a young boy, Jojo, who's 12, and his mother and um, baby sister, and they go on a road trip because his father's being released from prison in Mississippi, and one of the uh, interesting angles that Jessamine Ward takes is that the mother is African-American, but the father is white. Mm-hmm. So the children are biracial. So it is... In what state again? In Mississippi. Mississippi. It is a road trip. It is about racism in America. It is about beauty, landscape. It is about parenting. It is about difficulties of poverty. All put together in really a very well-told book, novel. It's totally w- worth the prize it won. <laughs> and when I have just one book to talk about, I want it to be this one. Am I at the end of the No, no, we got ten. Oh. We got eight minutes. Okay. Okay. Fire on the Track. Yeah, now, see that? When I saw that title, I said, oh, that's going to be perfect for this show. It has nothing to do with fire, really. Yeah. It's about running. Yes, it has nothing to do with fire. It is about, uh, well, the author is Roseanne Montillo, and it's about Betty Robinson and mm-hmm. the triumph of early Olympic women. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... This is such an amazing story. So in the, I think it was the 1928 Olympics, somebody saw her running for a train like four months before the Olympics and said, let me be your coach. Four months later, she's in the Olympics. There's almost no women at all in the Olympics. And she's the first. 28 was in? In um, Amsterdam. Okay. See, I didn't remember that. She won a gold medal in track and field with four months of training and almost almost no other women sports whatsoever because they didn't think women could do these things. Right. Shortly thereafter. They're built differently, you know. Yeah. (laughs) You have to run like a girl. Well, she runs like a girl and I want to run like her. (laughs) And shortly thereafter, she and her sister are in a plane. They're learning to pilot a plane and it crashes. Oh, my. And they're so severely hurt that she is taken to the morgue. This is, by the way, nonfiction. This is really? a true story. And the she wakes up on the gurney. Yeah, the undertaker the realizes she's still alive. They get her to the hospital, and she has to learn to walk all over again. And darned if by the Munich Olympics, the 1936 Olympics, she's back in track and field racing for the gold. Mm. It is a very moving story. It is a story that will make you root for the most unlikely um, 
difficulties that many people have and just show Isn't how it you astounding just... how these stories keep you know just disappear yeah. and then I recover it and, and yeah. fortunately for us yes. brought back to life yes I, I don't want to be facetious about this phrase but I always like to have a couple of holiday picks that are what I call feel-good books right meaning that you read these and you yourself feel heroic you feel proud you a feel... renewal book. yes yes and that's a perfect it's a one. perfect one so the fire might actually be a, a positive on the title. Yes. 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 And it, it's just amazing. Hmm. Okay. Yes, we have one over here. We have to go to a cookbook. There has not, to be. Not only a cookbook, but the Great America cookbook, right? You, you have to have at least one cookbook in this show because, okay. I mean. Because we have to get hungry. Yeah. Mm. This is really <laughs> a very interesting book. America, the Great Cookbook, the food we make for the people we love from 100 of our finest chefs and food heroes. And it really and is. Who put that together? Um, edited by Joe Yonan. And so it's not one of these foodie news cha- you know, well, channels or something. It's, it's, who, it, that's good, a good question. Yeah, Weldon Owen. Yeah, so that belongs. It, it really is a collection of some of America's best recipes. Defined by... A panel, um, or but what's how? what's interesting about it? Oh, I have no. Actually, it seems to be like the individual recipe. So it's got one page of the person who it is, and a little map that shows you where they are, which is rather clever. And then the next page is one recipe, just one recipe usually from that person, and it's. it's about, I believe it's how they cook for themselves or their and favorite their recipe. And, fam- oh. and so, for Not example, the one that we have open now is called Creo Gumbo. And each individual person has is makes this recipe in such a fashion their family think it's it's just the best ever. Well, well there's a name like, I know, Mario yeah, Batali. Mario right. Batali. So it's got very famous names and less well known necessary to us here. And that's just tomato soup with goat cheese, gundi, <laughs> gundi. Of course, gundi? I've included well, my gundi. Oh yeah. Um, but, and he's got two recipes, but they seem fairly small and interesting, and it's it's a delightful book. There's another book called America, the Cookbook. That's a Fiden book, I believe. Oh. So there's there's a number of, of interesting books out this year. There's a Smitten Kitchen that Smitten is Kitchen. Smitten Kitchen that is yeah. a more uh, fascinating stuff. I'm not buying the cookbooks anymore, so I'm not totally up on all of them. Oh, yeah. But there's a list of them also on our website. So right. cookbooks okay. is a happening part of the world these days. Right. In fact, the Odalengi, the new Odalengi book, um, Yosam is his first name, who became well-known for his book called Jerusalem. And Plenty. And Plenty yeah. has one now on sweet things. Yeah. And he's just terrific. That's what we need, more, more sweet things. Yeah. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Speaking All right, which, we have time for pie and whiskey. Speaking of sweet things, how did I manage that? I thought ah. that was intentional. <laughs> of course. Um, so this book is called Pie and Whiskey, Writers Under the Influence of Butter and Booze. It's a lovely, lovely <laughs> small book that's bright, bright Not orange Crisco, and blue. Right. And this started in Spokane, Washington in 2012, where someone said, let's do some writer events where we serve good pie, good whiskey, and have good writers. Oh, they're recent writers. Yes. So, I thought it would be, you know, like Mark Twain. No, and no. The, in fa- the famous and so, pie and whiskey eater. I need to tell you right off the back that it's not particularly, it's not really meant to be a cookbook. Or a bar book, although there are bar recipes and pie recipes at the end of every single story. Some of the stories are one or two pages long. Some are five or six pages long. They're quirky. I could best relate them to the kinds of stories you hear on This American Life. Ah, yeah. They're all just different kinds of ways that people 
good writers show up and read some essay they've written, many of which involve pie or whiskey. And I do have to read to you one or two at the front of each person's, um, say, story is an end plate that says, like, here's one. Pie is the food of the heroic. No pie-eating people can ever be permanently vanquished. That was um, (laughs) New York Times, May 4th, 1902. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was put in the New York Times. Before World War I. Here's my favorite one. Always carry a flagon of whiskey in case of snake bite, and furthermore, always carry a small snake. (laughs) W.C. Fields. That sounds Uh, like, yes. Uh, Okay, I I can see that one. So what are the the best pies in there? Oh, gosh, you know, I was looking at the one. Your favorites. I was looking at the one that said, could be blueberry or raspberry, because I'm famous for how much I love blueberry pies Ah. among my friends. Unfortunately, my birthday. Well, there are wild blueberries up in that area, so they yeah, can some, yeah, yeah. Well, these I think the writers now are this this idea is taken off, and writers are from all over. Ah. So it's a wonderful little gift book. It'll make you smile and laugh. You can give it to any almost anybody, and you can cook, ma- make kids. the pies. You can put a Kozlowski pie with. Oh, and it they tell you in the beginning. Oh, that's a great yeah. idea. They yeah. tell you in the speaking of not kids that this also event was. It's meant to be an event for adults, and kids are not welcome because they <laughs> oh. serve whiskey and pie sure. and tell oh, stories. Sure, yeah. Some of which are a little gritty. You know. Oh. Um, it's just a feel-good, <laughs> smart, funny, hilarious, charming. Great book. One of those you we, pick up and read, uh, not all at once, but in bits and, bits yes, and pieces? bits and pieces. Okay. And every darn bits time Bits and I, pieces of pie? Yeah. Every time time I start reading Trips a little and of whiskey. and there, I just want to <laughs> keep going. It's hard to, to stop. It's kind of addictive. <laughs> well, ho, 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 I am your Santa Claus of a host, Gil Manser, who with my wizard of a studio engineer, Anthony Garcia, and sitting in today is... All right, Jared Weiner. Jared Weiner. Yeah. Perfect. And KRCBFM program director Sean Knight, radio elf Wendy Nicholson, podcast archivist Mark Prell, and theme music composer Bill Conti. And we want to wish you the most joyous of holiday cheer. We are glad you have shared the last hour with us for the 2017 Holiday Gift Book edition of Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCBFM. During this exceptionally challenging holiday season, Books are important to us, and especially to fire survivors. They can be touchstones to the past, as well as harbingers of new beginnings. And we've got some wonderful books that were listed today for that are harbingers of new beginnings. Right. So we are pleased to welcome the book buyers from the local Copperfields bookstore, Cheryl, Cheryl Cotler, Michelle Bella, and their carefully considered suggestions for gift books. They will be available online, is that yes. good? Yes. at copperfields.com, right? Yes, copperfieldsbooks.com. Co- I'm sorry, Copperfields Books, there indeed. There we are. Okay. We thank our listeners for their continued tangible support of KRCB-FM. We are in the midst of our fundraising season, and our special gift to you is a reminder that you can download free podcasts of Word by Word and other local produced literary shows and novel ideas and Word Temple poetry literary shows at krcb.org or at NPR. Our next Word by Word show will be broadcast from 4 to 5 on the afternoon of Sunday, January 14, 2018, when our conversation will be with Sonoma Lavender farmer and fire survivor Rebecca Rosenberg talking about her newly released book, The Secret Life of Mrs. London. It's about the love affair Jack London's wife Charmian was having with Harry Houdini. 
Until then, let me be the first to wish you a safe and happy new year. And let's emphasize the safe. Thank you.